This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello and welcome to Spawn, the common sense, generally fun and hopefully helpful discussion on parenting and parenting culture. Hey, I'm Liz Gumbiner. And I'm Kristen Chase and we're the founders of CoolMomPicks.com. And today we're going to talk about raising good digital citizens, which is something that we've talked about before, but today, plot twist, we are joined <laughs> by an incredible guest who can lend another really smart, helpful expert perspective. That is a plot twist. A third person joining us on the show. <laughs> but yes. She's amazing. So we're going to jump right in. And of course, we'll close out our show with our cool picks of the week. So first, let us tell you a little bit about Diana Graber. She is the author of Raising Humans in a Digital World, Helping Kids Build a Healthy Relationship with Technology. Yes. So see what we're going to be talking about today. The book <laughs> is incredible. It's helping kids and, and parents help the kids navigate this new technology intensive world by developing social emotional skills, balancing virtual and real life, avoiding cyber bullies, protecting personal information, basically all the things we worry about these days. Yeah. Yes, all of them. And she's the founder of CyberWise and also Cyber Civics, which is a comprehensive curriculum that emphasizes ethical and critical thinking, covering digital citizenship, which we're going to talk about today, information literacy and media literacy. Diana, thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you so much for having me. We're so excited. We've been talking about this idea of raising good digital citizens for a really long time. It's something that's so important to us and something we kind of struck on years ago. I mean, we started cool mom tech in 2010. So we've been writing pretty intensely about this, but you are like uh -huh. a super expert. And so we're really yes. excited to get your perspective as well. So sure. I guess I'd like to start by asking you how you would define what it means to be a good digital citizen. Okay. Well, it's such a buzzword today. And I think when an adult talks about it, the way an adult would define it is it's using digital tools safely and responsibly. And I'll tell you, that means zero to a child. <laughs> Whatever, mom. But, you know, I still teach cyber civics to sixth graders this year. And I just finished a class on citizenship with my class. And so the way we teach it to kids is we say, what does it mean to be a good citizen? And we teach them five principles. Uh, a good citizen is honest, responsible, respectful, compassionate, and shows courage. So that kids get. You know, they understand that. And so we help them kind of work it through by saying, okay, those are the five principles. How do you demonstrate those principles in the communities you already belong to, like your soccer team or your baseball mm. team or your classroom? It's kind of a journey we take kids on because we want them then, this is next week's lesson, <laughs> to think about how they would apply those principles to the online world, to the communities they'll join there. That's fantastic. It sounds like you have kind of a Socratic discussion about it. Do you kind of get them to come to these principles? Like exactly. They, that's yeah. so interesting. Well, I'm just curious, like how the conversation often goes, like what are some of the things kids say up front? Like, do they get it right away or does it take some time for them to get to these? I, I really wish that every adult in America could have this experience with kids who are just barely old enough to join social media networks because it's kind of like a process. Like you said, I'm leading them to water. I'm not giving them the answers because they look at me and go, what do you know about technology? You know what I mean? <laughs> so I'm taking them on this journey and they discover 
over. And one of the biggest discoveries is that we talk a lot about what it means to be honest in the real world. Like if I were to go up to sixth grade and say, hey, how old are you? They would say, I'm 12. They wouldn't say, oh, I'm 34. Mm. But all of a sudden they go to TikTok and TikTok says, how old are you? <laughs> and they say, I'm 34. So that's <laughs> one of the biggest things that keeps you like, huh, I'm honest in my real life, but I don't have to be honest in the online world. And can you talk about why that is? Because, you know, we've spoken before. I worked on an article for the Washington Post and I spoke with you at length, Diana, about this. And it's, it's right. so fascinating to me that you said kids really have a good sense of what it means to be a good citizen in the real right. world. But suddenly they get online and it's like a free for all. And exactly. I'm just, why is that happening? Well, well, there's a psychological reason for it. And that reason is called disinhibition. And what that means, it's the loosening or complete abandonment of social restrictions or inhibitions, which would otherwise be around in the real world. So psychologically, that's what happens. What that means for a kid is it's the Wild West. They go online. There's no mom looking over their shoulder. There's no policeman. Interesting. And so in their view, anything goes unless we teach them differently. And the way to teach them that is like, well, anything goes, but you're going to pay a price for it down the road because you have this digital reputation that eventually people are going to look at to decide if they want you to go to their college or get Uh a job at their company. So, you know, you have to teach them why to follow these foundational principles of citizenship in an online world. I love that. And you know, it reminds me of something that's always stayed with me. So way back 17 years ago, pre-social media, when we were all on message boards, mom message boards, (laughs) those of you who have kids who are teens might remember things like birth groups and baby center groups. So I remember I used to be on a site called Urban Baby a lot. It was anonymous and people were snarky and nasty Mm. and funny and biting and I remember somebody saying, this is so cruel. Like, would you be like this in the real world? And one woman, I will never forget this. She said, actually, I never would. And that's why I come here. I get it out. So I don't have to be like this in the real world. Okie dokie then. Yeah, Yeah, that blew my mind. (laughs) And I was like wondering if kids somehow think it's cathartic to act out all of these other personas or things they would never do in real life, or if they just simply haven't established the boundaries yet. Well, I'm thinking of cyberbullying because this is something I talk to the kids a lot about. A lot of times a cyberbully is someone who's really hurting, you know? Mm -hmm. And so they'll act out being mean to others because they've got a lot of anger inside. So yeah, it's the way some kids act out things that they know that they can't act out in the real world. But the unfortunate part is when you do something online, it lives online forever. And so that was really the message we need to get across to kids is like, it might feel okay to be mean to somebody or to post something stupid or inappropriate, but you know, you just can't do it because you're the one that's going to pay for it somewhere down the line. I'm so glad you're saying that, Diana, because I feel like Liz and I have said that for a really long time. I mean, we even said that back when we first started parent blogging in like early 2005, and we were really cautious about the things that we put online about our kids because we're like, they're going to yeah. grow up and they're going to Google us. And a lot of people, and Liz, you remember this? A lot of people were like, oh, please, that's not going to happen. Oh, yeah. No, but to yeah. this day, my kids are doing right. it. Right. I know. I said to my kids, feel free. To go back to Mom 101, you can read absolutely anything I ever wrote. I never wrote right. a single thing that they couldn't see. And to this day, if they're like, oh, you know, I hate that picture, take that down. I'm like, sure, they get full size. Right, yeah. right. You know, I have a funny story about that because for my book, we went back and interviewed some of the kids I taught 10 years ago to see what lessons stuck. Ooh. And this one young man, he was so cute, but he's like, yeah, you know, Mrs. Graber told us that someday people would look at our digital reputation on these social media networks. And I didn't know what she was talking about because this is pre Instagram, you know? Uh-huh. 
uh-huh. said that he went to apply for two different jobs. And in the job interview, the person pulled up his Instagram account and started going through it. Scrolling, wow. And he's like, oh my gosh, this is what she was talking about. <laughs> Wow. It really happens. And it with happened. Liz and I both have kids that were in the college process right now. It really happens. Yeah. It yes. really does. Happen. Well, as long as their colleges are okay with me talking about politics a lot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, yours, but also theirs too, yeah. right? They're looking at what the kids are posting. Kristen, they won't be getting into Liberty University. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> darn. oh, well. Well, I, you know, I wanted to follow up this idea too, very quickly, Diana, about the fact that kids want to sort of live out things they may not be able to do in real life. You know, Liz, yeah. we were talking about this person, but you know right. what? There are positive ways for kids to do that online. And I think about my daughter, who's a cosplayer yes. on TikTok. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's super positive. And yeah. so she doesn't do that in real life, but she's found a way to channel that desire to sort of be someone else or act in a certain way in a really positive way. Right. And I especially think of kids who don't fit in in their normal environments, you mm-hmm. know, that are maybe struggling with identity issues or all that. And then they find like-minded people online and they feel better about themselves and they learn things about themselves. I mean, that's a really positive use of technology. And the other thing too, is like, this is so normal. I mean, kids for eons, this is from the beginning of time when kids reach adolescence, it's their time to pull away from their family of origin and to connect with peers, to discover who they are and what they like and what they think, you know, Mm -hmm. and largely they're doing that online, especially during COVID when they weren't with their peers. So all of those things are just happening. We just have to help them happen in a way that's safe and that they're not going to be sorry about later. I'm glad you brought up COVID because we've talked a lot about the before times and then the during times and the now times, which is still the during times, really. And that the pandemic put kids in a situation where tech literally helped them get through it, helped them function in terms of education, socially, like they would have been really alienated if not for tech. And so I think a lot of parents kind of just gave kids free reign because we knew it was getting them through the day to day. You know, sometimes you just need to like stop the bleeding. You need the tourniquet, right? Before you can like deal with the greater issue. So I'm just kind of wondering what you're hearing from parents now about whether kids are too reliant on tech after a year without limits. Do you have a perspective on whether we'll get back to normal or would that help to define the new normal? Well, I think kids are really craving Mm face-to-face. I think to one of the first lessons I taught this year and a little boy said, Zoom was the best thing about the pandemic and Zoom was the worst thing about the pandemic, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is so apropos, right? That's great. And just like us, I think they're really anxious to be face-to-face. The other thing that I'm seeing is during this time, kids really learned how to use technology in very productive ways because they had to. They were doing their schoolwork there. They were downloading homework stuff. They had to look online for resources that they couldn't get by going to a real library. I mean, all of that is going to stick. And I think that's really wonderful. My daughter joined an anime musical through TikTok. Like she was cast. (laughs) I love it. I'm I'm serious. Like she was cast to this woman. They all met through this TikTok community and they're like actually do I mean she played me some of the music I was like this is really good (laughs) like this is a really talented woman who decided to use social media to make a musical right and I think that if we took a close look at what these kids are doing a lot of it is that kind of stuff you know they're finding these communities they're doing things making things that they didn't have a chance to do in the real world
world. And and that's super positive. Yeah. I think it's helpful to look at the positive too. I know because so many parents, you know, we have our OutTech Your Kids Facebook group. We have Cool Mom Tech. We have communities where we hear from a lot of parents and it's so much like screen time. It's terrible. Watch out. But oh yeah. Yeah. A lot of it is how can I spy on my kids? Like that seems to be the number one question. Yeah. I'm just really curious to hear from you. (laughs) And I love this idea of like kids being resourceful with technology during the pandemic. What are some other signs that kids are having a healthy relationship with technology? Because quite frankly, it's hard for us. Like it's new and shiny still, even after all these years, we're not digital natives. To them, it's like nothing. But to us, we're still like, our phone is so beautiful, but they're used to it. So how can we identify good health? Well, I'm glad that you brought up the topic of screen time, because I really hope that what we've learned over the last 18 months is to stop looking at time. Don't look at how much, but look at what. Yeah. And that's, mm-hmm. that's what mm-hmm. takes time. And an app can't do it. You know, you can try any parental app you want. It's not going to be as good as you, <laughs> you know, asking your child, hey, what are you doing? Show me how TikTok works. What videos are you looking at? You know, so you get a sense of what it is they're doing online. And you might be pleasantly surprised at the communities they're discovering. We just did a really cool chat through CyberWise. We have these monthly CyberWise chats. And we did one on Gen Z and activism. Mm. And we brought on an author of hashtag activism. And I learned so much about kids that are really practicing civic engagement through TikTok. Yeah. They're making videos about climate change or you know Black Lives Matter or anything that they're passionate about and engaging with like-minded people in those communities. That's pretty cool. You know? Yeah, we had a few months back, we had Janice Johnson Diaz on whose daughter, Marley Diaz, has become like a really big influencer who created an entire activist program around getting more books featuring Black girls in them. Right. Yeah, it's incredible. It's like a great project. And she used social media for that. And she yeah. started when she was 12 or 13. I think she's like 16 now, 17. And I love seeing like the positive stuff. And I think sometimes as parents, we're so nervous yeah. and so desperate to protect our kids and keep them safe and hear like the scary predator stories on the news that we kind of avoid all the really good stuff that's right in front of us. Exactly. And it's like, you know, of course there's going to be the dangerous, scary stuff, but that's why you just don't throw them out there without any training. You kind of guide them so that they're finally ready to engage with these communities in ways that's safe and responsible and they're not going to make mistakes. Yes. So when does that start though? Because, you know, Uh (laughs) cyber civics is middle school age, right? Yes. And kids are getting tagged tablets at a very young age. Yeah. And so I'm wondering, when do you start all this and how does it look, especially for people with really young kids? Because I think it's one of those things where you don't really care about this stuff until it's right in front of your face. I feel like that's so much of parenting, right? It's like when my kids were teething, I remember, you know, my teenager is so mean. And I was like, I had a teething baby and I was like, whatever. And now I'm like, my teenager is mean. What do I do? So we don't care until it's right in front of our faces. But oftentimes that's too late. Yeah. Well, it starts like day one. Honestly, you know, kids need to develop social and emotional skills through face-to-face interactions with real people. And that starts the moment they're born. And those are the building blocks of digital literacy because they teach children how to engage with others in empathetic ways to understand what they're thinking. You know, someone takes a toy away in the playpen and the other kid starts crying and they see the sadness on that child's face and that makes (laughs) them feel sad too. I mean, all of those are important elements of growing up and 
all of those are skills, social emotional skills that they'll take into the digital world when they're old enough to understand that there's a real person behind every screen and have empathy and understanding for that person. I love that. Mm -hmm. You know, along those lines, we hear this a lot from our listeners and from our readers about when their kid might be ready for a phone or for a tablet. What signs do you tell people to look for? Well, I actually, I get asked that question probably every day. (laughs) So So it's not just us then. (laughs) Right. So I actually wrote about this. I think it's in the first chapter of my book, but I answer that question with seven questions Mm. that a parent should ask themselves to decide if their child is ready. The questions are things like, does your child have great social skills that they've developed? Like I just talked about, can they manage their online reputation? Can they have safe relationships? Do they know how to unplug? Can they protect their online privacy? Do they know how to think critically? And do they know how to be a good digital leader? If you can answer yes to those questions, your child's ready. Mm. If you can't, you have a little work to do before you put them out there with this device that connects them to the whole wide world. That's such a good reminder. I love that. I'm glad to know that we're kind of in a similar place because we've been writing about this so long. One of the things we've asked parents is to ask kids, why do you need a cell phone? I don't know if you've talked about that, but I found that to be very helpful. Yeah. So it's not just because my friends have one, but like that they actually demonstrate the knowledge and the clarity about what they're going to do with right. it and why they want it. Exactly. I know because that's the thing. Everyone has one. Like that's what every parent hears. But then kind of when you really take a look, not everyone has one. You know? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it should be like this expectation. I think there's a lot of hoops that kids should really jump through. I think every child should have an education and digital citizenship before they get a phone so they understand the big responsibility they have using it. I just think that makes a really big difference. Yeah. Also, by the way, it's expensive. Yeah. You know, like if kids are getting iPhones, like that is a very expensive gadget they're walking around with. Right. right? And then we're like, you're not getting those hundred dollar sneakers, but here's a thousand dollar iPhone that I have not prepared you for. Have fun. Let me make sure I put a case on it. Fortunately, mine have like the iPhone (laughs) seven hand me down from like eight generations back or whatever. (laughs) I know, which are really valuable now these days. And I I think that's actually a challenge with parents because as they upgrade their own technology, they go, oh, I might as well just give my kid this. And so I think it often happens without enough thought or discussion beforehand. And it's hard to like distinguish all the things a kid can do with a phone. Of course, there's just the calling capacity or taking pictures. And then there's posting on social media. Those are really different things. Mm -hmm. So I think, again, it's not the how much, but the what. Like, take a look. What is your child doing online? And the social media piece is the one that's tricky because, you know, that's where kids are going to be exposed to inappropriate content. I mean, for me, like probably for you guys too, they're exposed to a lot of misinformation right now. Yes. I think it's a huge deal. And that's another thing to remember if you have children who can't understand what's real, what's fake, or that might not be ready to read horrible, scary stories alone in their bedroom at night. I read it on the internet is not an acceptable source. Oh, I know. (laughs) We repeat that all the time in our house. I know. Where did you see it? The answer can't be on the internet. Well, also our kids are getting news. I mean, my son essentially gets his news on Instagram, you know? So we have to think, and a lot of times, guess what? They know about it before we do. My kids all watch Squid Game like the whole season before I even started the first episode. And I'm like, what? That's like the first time that that has happened to me. It's really crazy. And, and, you know, those are really disturbing images. And I mean, that's hard for a young kid to see that and not be 
you know, emotionally touched by it, especially when they're super young. We have teens, just so you know. Yeah. We're not like letting four-year-olds <laughs> yeah, watch it. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, you know, as well as I do. I mean, there's so many like nine-year-olds that have accounts to all these social media networks and they're seeing that stuff and, you know, they're not talking to their parents about it. And that's where I think we need to have that open discussion. Like, hey, what are you looking at? What do you think about it? Was it disturbing? Blah, blah, blah. Well, and the yeah. nuance of it too, because there right. are, like you said, you know, TikTok is being used as a recruiting tool for some really terrible people and communities. Like there's a lot going on just beyond what I think a lot of parents think about, which is porn, right? Or sexually driven images. There's a lot more. Oh, YouTube. I mean, my kids had a friend, a boy they knew through, not in their school, but generally. And he started saying really misogynistic stuff. And it turns out he was kind of indoctrinated through YouTube. Mm -hmm. He started watching stuff for like, you know, teen boys. He was, I think, 13. And then he ended up in like incel communities. Yeah. Yeah. where they were saying yeah. horrible things about women and how you need to dominate them. And my kids were like, what is wrong with you? And they asked him and that's what happened. YouTube just yeah. kept feeding them down this rabbit hole of horribleness right. until suddenly he was saying things that were really offensive and didn't even realize it. Yeah. And you know, that's the other thing we should be teaching kids about that. You know, we do that in cyber civics the year after digital citizenship, mm. we teach them information literacy or how do filter bubbles work and what's an algorithm. If you go to YouTube and watch one video, why do they keep giving you the same thing? Doesn't that bother you? Don't you want to see different things? You know, mm-hmm. and kids, you know, at that age, you know, 13, 14, they hate to be controlled by anything, let alone an algorithm or an app. So to teach them, this is a super powerful lesson. You know, there's the man behind the screen telling, you what to do. Do you like that? You know? <laughs> I mean, love it. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. I keep thinking, why is this not yet mandatory in schools? The way they make them take oh. like health classes left over from the I 70s. Know. Yeah. That's why a great aren't question. they doing information technology or media literacy or, you know, what we called public opinion and propaganda when I was in college? The wheels turn so slowly in public education. I mean, it breaks my heart, honestly, because it's pretty easy to get this into like a private school or a charter school, really harder in the public schools, unless you have a teacher that really advocates for it. Mm. And like I did this big seminar earlier in the week with a bunch of public school teachers and like they don't really even understand what digital citizenship is and that's like number one you Mm -hmm. know we have like 10 steps past that that we need to be getting to with our kids so there's just so much work that needs to be done and I I really give kudos to the individual teachers and in our case a lot of librarians that reach out to us wow it's it's a slow process but I'm I'm trying that's great I'm (laughs) glad we have you to do that I wonder if like we as parents can start advocating for more of that in schools because I think it's so important yeah I think parents need to speak up because the only way any of this is going to change. I mean, I think about like this whole Facebook files thing that just happened. And, Mm -hmm. you know, basically we have three choices. We wait for the tech companies to change. That's not going to happen. We wait for government to make change. That's going to take forever. Or we teach our kids to prepare themselves. Mm -hmm. And I just think number three is the only solution that we can really hope for right now. Yeah, it makes sense. Great point. And so jumping off that, I'd just love to end on some suggestions from you about what else parents can do right now with our kids to help make them better digital citizens. Well, of course, the boilerplate answer to that is talk to your kids, watch with your kids, be curious of what they're doing. But I do have another tip that I think is a really great one that a father of one of my students did with his child. When she wanted to join any social media 
Media app, she had to make him a PowerPoint presentation about the app, about the privacy policy, anything that was pertinent to her using the app. And she had to present it to him before he would give her permission to open an account. I love I'm that. I'm down for that. I love it. I'm a big PowerPoint fan, although they, they call it yeah. Dex now in, yeah. in 2021. Yeah. But I still say PowerPoint, so I don't right, care. Right, right. Well, it was great <laughs> because it, it caused her to have to learn how to use the app. I mean, yes. the app is obviously. And then the other thing is, you know, it took her a lot of time. But then think about the amount of time that child's going to put into TikTok or Instagram or anything in the years to come. Mm -hmm, so it's mm -hmm. a drop in the bucket compared to what she's going to do in the future. What an oh. excellent tip. I love yeah. that. Yeah. I mean, I've asked my kids questions. I've never made them give me a presentation about it. Yeah. And they could give you a Prezi or whatever they like to Google slides, whatever. <laughs> Just, you know, yeah. they can make a video about it. That is fantastic. <laughs> well, Diana, I know that our listeners are going to want to learn so much more about what you're doing. So you're the founder of CyberWise, which you can find at cyberwise.org. And if you go there to cyberwise.org slash book, you can find out more information about her book, Raising Humans in a Digital World, Helping Kids Build a Healthy Relationship with Technology. We can also follow you on Twitter at Diana Graber, on Instagram, cyber.civics, on Facebook at bcyberwise. You are all over the socials, aren't you? <laughs> and of course, at dianagraber.com to find everything that Diana is up to these days and her book and more. All right. Well, now it's time for Cool Picks of the Week. Cool Picks of the Week. And Diana, you are our guest. That means you get to go first. Okay. Well, you probably already know about this. I learned about this from my daughter just recently, and now it's like my favorite thing on my phone. But it's a Libby app. Have you guys heard of that? Yes, I have, but yeah. I, I do not have it. So you get it through your app store that's called Libby, and you connect it with your library. You have to have a library card. And then all of a sudden, you're able to download audiobooks, books that you can read on your tablet from any public library. So and I, I love it because I'm a big audiobook listener, and I was mm -hmm. spending a lot of money every month. I had an account to both Audible and audiobooks. It is a lot of money. And so my daughter's like, why are you spending all this money? You can have Libby. And so through Libby, I have so many audiobooks that I listen to constantly. And I just think it's awesome. I love that. We're going to link that up actually, because we have a whole article on Cool Mom Tech about all the different apps that allow you to get free books and free audiobooks. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, that's terrific. What a great tech. I love that. Well, I'm going to give an iPhone tip here. So Kristen, I have like this one little thing that drives me crazy, which is hey, that just one thing well, drives you crazy. One, one thing in particular <laughs> has been driving me crazy. All right. A lot of things drive me crazy, but this is one I can actually fix. I can't fix the world. So when you see that little red button that says 24,692 unread emails, on the on your home screen it drives me insane because i'll never get that down and i feel like phones are built to like make you keep clicking and keep wanting to get that down to zero and what am i going to do like what's the difference between one or ten new emails it doesn't even matter so <laughs> I, I was like why don't i just get rid of it and i realized there's actually a very very simple trick on your iphone to help you get rid of that little red button that taunts you with all the unread messages or updates or emails or whatever it is that you have on that particular app so i will link it up also, it's on coolmomtech.com. Just look up how to get rid of that unread email count badge on iPhone because we have enough stress these days. And it really, actually, I realize it's kind of calmed me down every time I look at my phone. Oh, I like that. Now, do they have that for text messages or is that basically you just need to read them all? Nope, you can do it for pretty much any app. So oh, anyway, I talk awesome. you through it in the post and I give you step-by-step. -step. And there's a couple other tricks you can do too if you don't want to do what I'm suggesting. You can just move those apps to the second page of your screen so you don't see them as as you pick up your phone, you know, there's like little hacks, but if you want to get rid of it for good, I've got you covered. All right. Well, I feel weird because I don't have any 
sort of tech tip, but you know, not sweating, I guess is, I don't know. I can't even relate it. I don't even care because, because <laughs> you know what? Why, why, why bother? Because we sweat over our computers all there day. There we Kristen. go. We sweat over digital citizenship of our children. Well, these are all bad segues to natural <laughs> deodorant that I'm loving. That's what I'm going to talk about. I know it's true. I have tried many natural deodorants over the years. And this one so far, last few months, it's called Loom, L-U-M-E. And our friends over at the Selfie Podcast community recommended it. It sort of goes on like cream. So I'm just warning you people that you're going to be like, what is she getting me into when you first open it up? Is this the kind you put on the night before? No, I don't think so. I mean, I don't know. I just, I, you know, make sure your pits are dry, put it on there. And it actually is supposed to last even more than a day. I will say this. It's great for every day. If you are going like to go into an interrogation room or something, <laughs> I, you know, I don't think it's going to help you with that. If you are playing Squid Game <laughs> in your community... <laughs> I don't think Loom is that, but overall, every day it works. I break out because of baking soda and various things. It doesn't have any of that in it. I will say this, caveat people who are like, natural deodorants, I still smell. Your body actually has to get used to using them. So it does take a little bit of time for your body to adjust, but I promise you, at least in my own experience, after a couple of weeks, I find that I am not sweating as much and I don't need as much coverage or like the heavier chemicals that I used to use. So I'm just putting that out there. Loom deodorant. We'll link everything up, of course, including Diana's book and all of her places on the web that she's at. So you can find her and of course, our cool picks of the week. And that will be over on coolmompicks.com. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Spawned. Huge thanks to our guest, Diana Graver, and of course, our amazing engineer, John Bowen. Hey, listen, if you've got a moment and you can leave us a five-star review, you got a couple seconds. That's all it takes. We will greatly, greatly appreciate that when you subscribe, you download our episodes. I don't know if you've noticed this, Liz, but there are a lot of people that are moving towards paid podcast situations. Have you noticed that? Yep. Like the Patreon of podcasts kind of thing. And guess who is not doing that right we now? We are not because we want <laughs> to make our work accessible to as many parents as possible and not everyone can afford to pay money. But you know what? You can do is spend a few minutes and give us a really nice rating which helps support us plus you know we're officially hitting the holiday season here Kristen so it's like a little gift of five stars to us yes (laughs) the gift of five stars it's a totally free gift and of course we mentioned our OutTech Your Kids Facebook group on the show but we also have our own recipe rescue group and of course our Spawn podcast community where we drop the new episodes if for some reason you're not subscribed over in that group and we chat about all things all the time and very controversially, we now have anonymous posting, Liz. I know, that's like the whole thing. Like, if you want to ask a question in our Facebook group, you can actually post it anonymous. Kristen and I, who are the administrators, will see it's from you, so there's no, like, crazy trolls running around taking advantage of it. But it's a good way if you, like, have something you want to share or you want to ask but don't really want your name attached to it or you're worried it'll get out or something. We are very good at keeping secrets. And it's, I hope, a good, safe place for you to share whatever you'd like. Well, thanks so much for listening to Spawned. This is Kristen. And this is Liz. Have a great day. Bye.